0: that, and that's exactly what we're going to uh, be talking about tonight, the vicarious suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, specifically from Isaiah 52 and 53, uh, the vicarious suffering of the Messiah. And when we look at these passages, we, we cannot but be humbled by the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and the prophetic account hundreds of years before Christ would come. In detail, Isaiah, by the inspiration of God, gives us the account of the suffering servant, the Messiah, and his vicarious atonement. It's a powerful passage, and I'm only going to be able to kind of scrape the surface of of this tonight. But we'll begin by looking at... The sinful deeds of man. When we consider the vicarious suffering of the Messiah, we have to begin with the hard stuff, the hard truths, the difficult part. The fact that we are sinners. There is a reason for the need of an atonement, of a vicarious atonement. There's a need for that. What, what causes that need? It's us. It's our, it's our sin. We are sinners by birth and by choice. And it's popular thinking today to believe that man is essentially good, basically good. That's gotten into churches. We know it's been a part of neoorthodoxy and liberalism and modernism and postmodernism. Uh, we know that it has permeated our culture in Uh, The realms of uh, morals and sexuality. And it's so disgraceful because if we don't recognize the inherent sinfulness of man, we start on the wrong premise for a lot of areas that affect our decisions and affect our life. And I've been a part of education for many years And I'll tell you right now that much of today's secular education is based on a premise that man is inherently good. That if we just have enough education, if we just have enough money allocated by certain government powers and entities then we can find that inner spark of goodness deep down within man. As a matter of fact, there are some religions that in order to find that inner spark of goodness, you have to do some navel-gazing. You have to empty your mind, and you have to get into some sort of transcendental states. Now that's really uh, messed up. But it's that self-identity uh, and that expressive individualism and, and all that it, that permeates our culture that basically says man's good. Any idea that we come up with, we can put into practice, and it it doesn't really matter. It's what I thought, what I want to do, it's my truth, and if I'm essentially good, then I can make it happen. So I can do anything that I want to do, and I can be anything that I want to be, and we have billion-dollar industries that are built upon that premise. Now, should we have goals and dreams and visions and desires, should we have some oomph about us to go out and to to work and to serve and to make the best of uh, the abilities and the talents and the time and the treasures that God has given us. Sure, I say it a lot. I'd like to kick some young people in the seat of their pants, even some adults in the seat of their pants, and say, get some desire, get some gumption, get some desire for life. Do something, especially some young men. I get really frustrated with with young men today who who are just lazy. They're just bums. No commitment. They just fly by the seat of their pants. They are too interested in their video games and their YouTubing and social media and all their toys. It's like you're missing out on life. And then there's all the immorality and the wickedness that comes with that many times, not always. I use the illustration a lot, I know, but disc replay, to me, it's just a stereotypical microcosm of what is wrong with our culture sometimes. You walk into disc replay, and I don't know, some of you are looking at me like, disc replay, where's that at? It's over by Walmart, and it's about two or three doors down from another place that seems to be a magnet for certain types of individuals. Anyway, so sometimes they leave the one place and go to the other, I think. But there's something about disc replay, and my kids joke with me because I say this. You walk into disc replay, there's a reason why they have a very high octane air freshener when you walk in. Whenever you walk into a store and you immediately get a huge gulp of some cheap air freshener, you probably know that there's something stinky going on in there. Anyway, the point is that there's a lot of people who wander around in there in their pajamas and they don't smell very good. But they probably could tell you all the Marvel and DC comic heroes and all the movies and probably quote some of the lines, and they probably have reached the highest levels of all the different video games. And some of them walk out with bags full of more. I mean, I don't know why you would want to buy 1995 FIFA. Or 1995 Madden, but I, you probably can find it. Anyway, I'm a little bit of a rabbit trail, but the the idea, you know, that we 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 just can go through life and we're basically good, and you know we'll just kind of figure it out, and everybody's kind of discovering their truth and my truth, and that that's nonsense. It, it, it it's it's destroying the fabric. It's destroying our institutions and this inherent this thought that we are inherently good it comes really out of the pits of hell Genesis 3 that's essentially what Satan is tempting Eve with ye shall be as gods God is saying that this tree if you take of it will be sin and it will bring curse and judgment and condemnation don't you know who you are don't you realize what God is doing to you? He's not fair. You're a, in, in that case, Adam and Eve were perfect. They were the only perfect individuals, and they blew it. They messed up, and we can't say that we would have done any better. I mean, you think about some of those Olympic athletes that are out there, they're the best representation of our athletic achievements in, in many cases. Okay? I mean, that's just an example. We, we couldn't run those marathons and do those sprints. Here's Adam and Eve. They are the best representation, the first and the only perfect human beings, and they blew it. And so death came upon all men, for that all have sinned. And as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Again, there's the inherent sinfulness. So if we deny the inherent sinfulness of man, then ultimately we are denying sin the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. And we are denying the need for salvation and the, we're, we're, we're taking the entire value out of God's redemptive plan, God's redemptive work. See how serious this is for the vicarious atonement? So we see the origin of sin. Obviously, Genesis 3, we know that Satan tempted Eve, Eve sinned, Adam sinned. And we can go through, as we did on Wednesday night and dealing with David's prayer of repentance, we can look at the specific terms about sin, transgressions, being rebellion, revolt, trespass. Iniquity is perversion or perversity. Moral evil. Iniquity, or excuse me, sin is an offense against a holy God. 1 John 3, 4, sin is a transgression of the law. That's the law of God. Evil being grievous wrong. Calamity. I think that we need to get back to what God calls sin and I think we need to get back to what God's definition is for sin and see sin for what it is before a holy God I think it would do us a lot of good I think it would bring revival and it would change the way we live but we often don't see our sin the way we should the way the Bible describes it the way uh, God uh, defines it we make excuses for it we rationalize it we even take passages of Scripture that are very clear and we re- try to reinterpret them. And we go to great lengths to try to excuse away, to explain away, to redefine and make up different excuses for our sin. But that doesn't change the fact that we are sinners condemned to an eternal hell. And we need salvation. We need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. So then we go on to the transmission of sin. Again, all of us are sinners by birth and by choice. The practice of sin. And we all, as believers, as genuine believers, feel that tension every day. And the Romans 7, I wish that I uh, would do, or the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I should do, I'm not doing. I mean, those, those tensions, we, we feel those as believers. And we yearn for the the day of redemption, resurrection day, and salvation, eternal salvation, the uh, taking away of the presence of sin, that final state of our salvation, eternity, and we're in the presence of God, and there's no more sin, we long for that day, because we keep messing up, we keep sinning, we keep transgressing the law, we keep doing these calamities, We, we keep rebelling against God, and and it brings a, a guilt to our soul. And we can only get that guilt removed by confession of that sin. And I said it, I think, Wednesday night, that guilt is a function of the soul. So there's only one way to have that guilt removed, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, as believers, there's that fellowship that is broken that has to be restored. We understand that once saved, always saved, like we talked about this morning. So, it's not like we keep getting resaved and resaved and resaved. That's not what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. But we have that progressive sanctification and we have besetting sins, weights that so easily beset us, our sins and weights, as Hebrews 12 talks about. And so we're constantly dealing with this sin. And then, letter D, we see the penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death is sin's penalty. And we know we live in a sin-cursed earth, and we see the consequences of sin, and we're even affected by the sin of others. But there's our own sin that brings consequences, the law of sowing and reaping, and then there's the effects of sin upon the world, and then there's the physical effects of sin, sometimes in personal choices, but also in the fact that we suffer when we get sick, and we die. Because of the effects of sin, the curse of sin. So, we see the definition for vicarious: endured by somebody in the place of, or as a substitute for someone else. So we're in a bad state. What can be done about this? We are in need of rescue. We are in need of pardon. We are in need of forgiveness. We we need restoration. We need reconciliation. We're in a bad state. So that takes us to the submissive attitude of the Messiah. And then we'll look at the substitutionary work of the Messiah. The submissive attitude of the Messiah. Isaiah 53, all these verbs are in passive voice, meaning the action is being done to him. Okay? So we have to think about that in reference to Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We go down to verse 3. He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So these... Actions are done to Christ. There's sinful man in his own will committing these sinful acts against Christ, and yet it's in the providence and under the sovereignty of God. That's hard for us to completely fathom, okay? We go down to verse number 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. We read in John 10, Jesus saying, I lay down my life and have power to raise it up again. We come back to the willingness of our Savior out of love for us to give his life as a ransom, as a substitute to pay pay the penalty. And sometimes we get focused so much on the sovereignty of God and the providence But we have to understand that once sin entered into the world, there had to be a payment for that sin. Either man would pay for his penalty for all eternity in hell, and some choose to do that by rejecting Christ. And so they then suffer for eternity in a place called hell as the punishment for their sin or there has to be a substitute because what man perfectly keeps the law is entirely perfect in every way who could fulfill all righteousness. No man could do that. Only Jesus Christ did. Only he fulfilled all righteousness. We talked about this in the Bible study on Monday night over uh, on campus about the necessity of Christ being 100% God and 100% man. In order for the sacrifice, in order for the penalty to be paid and effective for man, Christ had to be man. But in order for it to have eternal and spiritual redemption for all eternity, Christ had to be God. And when Christ became sin for us, we just sang the song, His Robes for Mine. When Christ became sin for us, we have to be careful. It's not that Christ became a sinner. It's that sin was Laid on him. There was an atonement. His blood made atonement, a covering. And it was laid on him like the scapegoat, where the hands were laid on the scapegoat, and the goat was sent out. It's not that Christ, for a period of time, became a sinner. No, he remained God and remained man in his suffering, and he died a literal death. But it's not that Christ became a sinner, But in the submissive attitude of the Messiah, we see that Jesus Christ willingly fulfilled God's redemption plan in obedience, knowing when leaving the glories of heaven, as I talked about this morning, Christ was going to have to deal with people like you and me and even his disciples are asleep on the night of the crucifixion and on the, in the final days of his earthly ministry, what are the disciples arguing about? Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to sit at the right hand of God? And they're arguing with each other. Isn't that just the way we are? Our fleshly, selfish, prideful appetites. Who's going to get the glory? Who's going to get the popularity? Who's going to be the one? And sometimes we think we've arrived. You know? Sometimes we think we've, we've made it. And nobody else is as good as us. We get this spiritual pride sometimes. And we forget how wicked we really are. And that Christ, willingly, in submission to the will of God, he dealt with sinners like you and me and paid the sacrifice, made the payment. In Philippians 2, we read very clearly of Christ and his Coming as a servant and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we see that submissive attitude of the Messiah and his willingness as the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53 to fulfill the will of God in the free will act of man as sinners. Our sin nailed Christ to the cross. Our sin. We condemn the Romans, we condemn the Jews, and we condemn all the people that were there. And rightfully so, they were guilty of sinning and murdering Christ. But it was our sin that put him there. We have to remember that. And he came in submission to the will of God. And then we see the substitutionary work of the Messiah. I'm thankful in Bible college, where I went to college, we had to say a creed. Every single time we met in chapel, and I know to this day, because Emily uh, will say the creed, and I know to this day some people still complain about saying the creed. Sometimes I'll get online and I'll watch chapel, and they'll have a student or a faculty member come up, and they'll say the university creed. I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God. The incarnation of the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His vicarious atonement for the sins of mankind by the shedding of his blood on the cross. And I'm thankful I got to say that over and over and over. And I can go online and I can still hear that. And it brings memories back and it puts me in tears because it's, a, it's an overwhelming thought. I don't deserve this. I'm a wicked, reprobate sinner. I don't even like to think of what I would be if not for Christ. I don't deserve a loving wife and four beautiful children. I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. I don't deserve anything. I deserve hell. And we've got to come back to that in Christianity. We have too many big shots, too many celebrities, too many performers. And we've got to come back to Christ, who had it all, had the glories of heaven, would have been perfectly just and righteous to have left us all in our sin and let us all go to hell. And he would have been perfectly just and fair in doing so. Oh, we hear a lot about justice and fairness today, right? Well, you know what true justice is? Us going to hell. It's his mercy and his grace, his substitutionary work. And we uh, don't have a lot of time here, but we go to Matthew 8 and verse 17 where we see that Isaiah 53 and verse number 4 is interpreted in Matthew 8 and verse 17. And by his stripes we are healed. And we have to look at the physical as well as the spiritual healing. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 does similar. The physical healing that we experience is illustrative, symbolic of the spiritual healing. The man born blind that we just say in the book of John He received physical sight, but he more importantly received spiritual sight. So, physical healing does take place, doesn't it? But ultimately, where will all physical healing be done? In heaven, when all suffering will cease, death will be taken away. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying. So, physical healing has been, in some cases, hijacked by the Pentecostal Charismatic Church movement, Charismatic Movement. And they have tried to apply, and I know someone who frequently would use by his stripes ye are healed. Sometimes when my dad would be sick with a bad sinus infection or having to go in for sinus surgery, this well-meaning Pentecostal friend would say, well, if you had enough faith, then he would be healed. By his stripes ye are healed. And I know this person meant well, but is all temporary earthly suffering to be wiped away through an act of faith, through a word faith, through a deposit of faith on some preacher's bank account, so that you can be healed of a temporary ailment? You think about that, the misinterpretation of that passage misses the symbolic aspect, the illustrative aspect of the physical healing. Jesus did physical healings. He did miracles that involved physical healings. Those miracles were illustrative of the spiritual healing and pointed to the spiritual healing that Christ wanted to do in those people's lives. And many times they were physically healed and then they would also be spiritually healed. And Jesus even used the illustration when the man was brought down from uh, the, the roof. And Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, got upset. And Jesus said, what is more powerful? What is more important? That his sins be forgiven or that he get up? And because, and he uses the illustration of the healing of that lame man to speak of the need for spiritual healing. And so we have to remember that as we compare the two. In Isaiah 53 and verse number 4, we have to understand the, the meaning of that and apply it properly. Do we know today that there are attacks on the substitutionary atonement of Christ? It goes all the way back to the early centuries of the church. A religion called Pelagianism that said Adam's bad example can be overcome by following the good example of Jesus Christ. Denies the sin nature, taught Christ's death was only martyrdom, and taught that salvation is earned. Pelagianism. Interesting that it's then repackaged and redistributed during the times of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was an anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible movement based on German rationalism, rationalism, And human reason is the way to discover all truth. And so it got repackaged. A man, a German rationalist, by the name of Schleiermacher, he repackaged Pelagianism, this error, and he stated to his father, who he was, I believe his father was a Moravian minister, and as Schleiermacher, trained for the ministry, rejected his father's teaching and wrote his dad a letter and said, I cannot believe that he who called himself the son of man was the true eternal God. I cannot believe that his death was a vicarious atonement because he never expressly said so himself. And I cannot believe it to have been necessary because God who evidently did not create men for perfection, but for the pursuit of it cannot possibly intend to punish them eternally because they have not attained it. What did the enlightenment do? Started the French Revolution. The death and the massacres and the destruction. And then Satan repackaged that same lie and redistributed it in neo orthodoxy, in modernism, in postmodernism, and now in this expressive individualism and my truth. And then it got back into the church in a form of what's called progressive Christianity. And it's interesting that the progressive Christian the progressive Christian view of the cross is that Jesus was killed by an angry mob for speaking truth to power critical theory okay the progressive view progressive Christians it's popular in our culture today the view of the cross is that Jesus was killed by an angry mob for speaking truth to power God didn't need his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, but in some way submitted to it in order to set an example of forgiveness for us all to follow. That is a lie. That is dangerous false teaching, and it's in our churches today. It is just another repackaged form of Pelagianism, and we can call it neo-orthodoxy, modernism, postmodernism, But it is taking and it's saying the word of God is only true as I reason it to be true. As I interpret it to be true. So therefore, the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ was not necessary. And then you'll hear words like this. God is a cosmic child abuser. He abused his son by letting him be murdered on the cross. This is dangerous stuff. It's in our culture. It's in YouTube. It's in social media. It's popularized by celebrity preachers and preacherettes. I hate to call them preachers because, anyway, that's another I'll get myself in big trouble. Okay? There's a place for women in the church. Believe me, they have wonderful roles in the church but not in the office of the pastorate or the deacon. But there are popular preachers espousing this lie. And it takes the truth of the vicarious atonement, the vicarious suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it rips it out. And it takes our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and just makes Him a mere man, who just died as a good example so that he can have some sort of influence on our life so that we can live a better life. And we can fight the power, just like Jesus did. That is blasphemy to our holy God. And we must recognize it and reject it. Tonight, we are going to come in just a moment and we are going to observe the Lord's table. May we once again... Be reminded of the submissive attitude of the Messiah who came in obedience to the will of God, in obedience to the commands of God, to fulfill God's redemptive plan for us. And his work was a substitutionary atonement. He paid the penalty for our sin. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The same truth that is taught in the, by the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of God. And we see Scripture interpreting Scripture, the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament. One author, but human authors that God used, Paul the New Testament, here Isaiah, both writing by the inspiration of God. And Paul writes, He hath become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We see the vicarious atonement of Christ in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Isaiah 53 and in 1 Corinthians. And we praise the Lord for it. And as we observe the Lord's table, may we once again, in humility, be brought to remembrance of the vicarious suffering of our Savior of the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to share the word of God. Lord, I am an unworthy servant. I pray, Lord, that you will use your word in our lives, that, Lord, as we observe the Lord's table, that we will once again be convicted and that we will once again be reminded of the great sacrifice. Thank you for paying the penalty for our sins. Thank you for the substitutionary, the vicarious atonement of our Savior. Lord, we had a debt so big we couldn't pay it, but you paid that debt of sin for us, and we thank you for that. Pray that you do your work in our lives. Help us to go out from here, recharge, reenergize, to serve you more, to serve you better, and to love you, and to fulfill your will, and to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Derek's going to come and lead us in a...